Welcome to episode number 41, Sexuality, Intimacy, and Mental Illness. Now, I have, for the most part, danced around this subject throughout my podcast and interjected a comment or two about intimate relationships and the idea of sexuality and identity. Today, I'm going to talk directly about sexuality, intimacy, identity, and relationships. My intent, as always, is to view the problems associated with mental illness, intimacy, and sexuality from the lens of the gospel. I'm going to be fairly straightforward today about the subject. I am certainly not going to be able to cover everything in this subject. It is a large part of our lives in the sense that almost everything reminds us of our gender and the expectations of our gender within our social networks. It actually can define almost everything in life and at times can be frustrating as society and church have defined the written and unwritten rules before we're born. Some of these rules are defined by the Lord and actually critically important, such as the law of chastity, and others are not so much, such as boys can't wear pink. All of us have come to our own understanding of our sexual identity through our bodies, our environment, and in today's world, sexuality is far more undefined than it, ha- it has ever been in the past. There exists a wide net of information, philosophies, science, beliefs, and social pressure to define oneself based on how one feels and how one perceives the social world around them. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been very straightforward with their doctrine of sexuality. The doctrine centers around the idea of a nucleic family and the roles of a father and a mother. The doctrine that gender was determined before this earth and and that marriage should only be between a man and a woman anchors the message of the church. Our current society does not contain such doctrines, rather stating that gender was given at birth, but does not define one's sexuality. The reality is that for most young people, sexuality can be a confusing masquerade of ideas, philosophies, pressures that give no real direction in life. Expectations are that you will feel something, and then by that particular feeling, you are going to define yourself for life. The reality is that for most young people who are developing both their sexuality and new feelings associated with attraction, love, and relationships, defining oneself into a particular class of society early in development is actually quite problematic and can be detrimental to one's development. The reality of human sexuality is that it is a combination of genetics, environment, and chemistry, which interacts and mixes with our spiritual nature that lived long before this earth. Now, we don't know a great deal about what happened before this earth. Specifically, we do know that we were born, or better said, organized, and that we were created by our heavenly parents, who gave us identity and taught us concerning identity and sexuality, and taught us concerning who they were, who we were, and what we were to become. We were also taught a set of lessons there to prepare us for this earth life, and those lessons included what we have come to understand as the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is an innate influence within our lives, in our spirits, that recalls experiences and long ago prepared lessons and standards. As a covering for our spirits, we received a body of genetics and chemical influences. Now this body we received is not a perfect body. In fact, we were given a set of trials or weaknesses in our bodies, as they are called in the scriptures, specifically ether in the Book of Mormon. This means that at times our imperfect genetics are going to cause issues, and at times serious issues. 
Now, these issues are purposely and individually divined trials. Anyone with a mental illness is fully aware of the fact that genetics cause serious issues. But understand that we, that we were given more than a pat on the head and sent to the unknown world without preparation. We have embedded within us and within our spirits all of the experiences necessary of a pre-mortal existence. And from what we can determine, that time frame of pre-mortality was extensive. Our education was not a standard textbook education, but was specifically designed for our own personal experiences. This means when we experience trials embedded in our genetics, environment, and our body chemistry, we were prepared to confront it and to work through the difficulties. One of those powerful, influential, chemistry-driven processes of the body is a sex drive or sexuality. The drive is meant to be very strong, but that also can vary with time, age, genetics, and issues such as mental illness. For most of us, our sexuality develops during our teenage years and continues to develop over time until hormonal levels balance. However, for the most, however, the most form, formidable portion, so formidable portion of our sexuality develops during our teens and 20s. We come to understand what sex is, our desire for it, culturally accepted practices, social acceptance of certain practice, and a variety of minutiae on how to interact with other human beings based on our gender. Now, during the time of development, individuals will have thoughts and feelings about same-sex attraction, gender identity, what boys should feel, what girls should feel, and how to interact with others, including the opposite sex and the same sex. That is why it is called the developmental stage. Society would like individuals to choose an identity early in this development and stick with it. But it is important to note that intimate feelings for the same sex and opposite sex for many people are fluid. Understand that this is a chemistry-driven process and a hormonal process that is actually developing. That is understandable given the body is developing all the brain connections and the chemistry necessary to bring about this desire to repopulate. Understand also that what is developing is chemistry, and as we develop, we can influence that chemistry in a variety of ways. Now, what I'm trying to say in probably too many words is that most individuals during this development have some choice. While the chemistry is developing, so, is the met, so are the mental and physical sides of the equation, and we can influence that in many ways, our desires and our identity. Now, I understand that some individuals have a body chemistry that is highly oriented to same-sex attraction. I realize that they are not going to change that by just thinking, acting, or ignoring the attraction. I know that it can be a difficult trial for members of the church. I have, over time, myself, struggled to understand why the Lord would place such a powerful influence in the body that at times is difficult to control and understand. Honestly, I don't think I have a satisfactory answer other than it is a specific personal trial. But understand that our bodies upon resurrecting will be perfected and any genetic chemistry issue is going to be rectified. The development of sexuality and the pressures of social networks without a mental illness is probably more than difficult enough for anybody. But given that a mental given that mental illness frequently shows up in the middle of development, it can cause serious problems in several areas of individual development of the person. Mental illness 
itself can drag with it a hypersexuality, meaning an overactive sex drive, or just the opposite, where the sex drive is non-existent. Beyond the chemistry problems, development of mental illness during this time frame also interrupts the person's ability to develop functioning relationships, personal identity, development of personal interests, development of personal testimony, and continued spiritual development and ability to listen to spiritual promptings. And when you combine the difficulties associated with the sexuality development with the complications headed by the mental illness, it is not difficult to see why so many young people have such great difficulties with identity and intimate relationships. They must wade through a series of sometimes overflowing rivers of false emotions, frustrating desires, misunderstanding parents, and a public in a world that wants them to identify themselves when they are really barely surviving. Often those who suffer mental illness and are going through this identity do this without a good diagnosis and management of their mental illness. By nature, your social environment, which includes church, family, friends, peers, media, and actually all influences in your life, will teach you what you should be, how you should feel, and how you should feel giving guidance and direction from their own perspectives and what they have experienced. However, for those passing through puberty and the same at the same time the development of a mental illness, those experiences from others are going to have at times little relevance and problematic outcomes. When a portion of your feelings and desires are being manipulated by chemical imbalances or other chemistry problems, then trying to sort through what you are feeling and apply those feelings to what you are being taught by your social networks is going to be almost impossible. This is especially true when your networks within the church are saying exactly the opposite of your networks and media outside the church. The disconnect between the two worlds, church and society, the often negative and paralyzing feelings of depression and anxiety, or even the high of bipolar, can cause one to feel as though they must choose between networks and worlds. Because it is difficult to feel the spirit during an episode of even moderate mental illness symptoms, many individuals actually choose to leave the guidance of the church behind and accept the pressures of the world. Why the pathway of the world instead of the church? Often I have found that during episodes, negative associations can occur with spiritual matters. Things, as, things such as not feeling uplifted when one goes to church or when one reads the scriptures or attending the temple or other activities and one has great difficulty feeling and hearing the Spirit. Due to this, a person already feels guilty, and going to places or doing things that should provide for spiritual renewal and don't only adds to that burden. So the decision is often more about the avoidance of guilt, pain, emptiness, and everything that comes with seeing others who have what you do not at the moment, peace and happiness. So young people, and even older individuals, are going to have difficulty with sex, gender identity, and sexuality more often when they suffer with mental illness. Mental il as I know, mental illnesses do not come only one at a time. And often those who suffer mental illness have other chemistry-related issues, such as hypersexuality, hyposexuality, which is low sexual drive, that will influence their decisions and choices. It is also true that the illness mental illness changes over time, and so can the sexual drive. 
For those people who suffer with bipolar, it is not uncommon for promiscuous behavior at an early age. And included with that are things such as pornography attraction and masturbation. For those with depression, pornography can also be a driving force as it provides for a relief from the defeating and disheartening feelings and pain of depression and anxiety. The sexual drive and chemistry that comes with the release of endorphins in the body is a powerful and addictive, is powerful and addictive if used improperly. Those people who suffer with mental illness can and often do fall into its trappings. For the most part, you do find this in men, but occasionally women also fall into this type of a drug addiction. Pornography, in this case, is a drug addiction, and it is being used to counteract depressive desires and feelings. What is important to understand about the role of pornography use in this case is that it is linked to the mental illness, and treating just the pornography addiction without treating the illness is likely not going to succeed. And the opposite is true. You can't just treat the illness and not the pornography addiction. Because if you do, it's going to cause the illness to rebound. So both must be treated together with an, a merciful understanding of the interrelation between the illness and the drug. Now, the same internal sexual drug, whatever you want to call it, the love drug, is also responsible for mentally individuals Mentally ill individuals allowing abuse to, to occur and remain within a relationship that allows for this love drug. When we have a companion or friend that loves and cares for us in a relationship, it feels necessary in a very addictive way for someone who is depressed or suffering anxiety to remain in the relationship. Leaving the relationship would remove the positive chemistry found within the relationship and then the positive chemistry is replaced by the negative mourning chemistry, which is mourning for the relationship loss. I know this might sound a little strange, but the perspective is that a little physical abuse is actually far less painful than the breakup and recovery of the relationship. I am not in any way saying that abuse is acceptable. I find it to be one of the most abhorrent sins, and I believe one that the Lord truly hates. What I am saying is that the abused individual does the emotional math and at least subconsciously or intuitively understands that leaving the abuse would be far more painful. This then turns the tide into I can fix him or her and with a continuous forgiveness and understanding. However, over the long term, the abuse, whether physical, sexual, verbal, takes its toll on the mental illness and can cause deepening and widening of the wound and damage that may, that may take a lifetime to repair. I understand that leaving an abusive relationship is very difficult and that the pain of leaving is certainly greater than one can understand. But the long-term damage is going to be likely irreconcilable. It is always better in almost every circumstance for the individual to remove themselves from the relationship and suffer the initial pain of a breakup rather than the cancer that is going to occur if they remain within the relationship. Now, I'm no psychiatrist, and you should always consult with professionals, but abuse and mental illness do not mix. Abuse and mental illness together 
will not allow for management of the mental illness. Understand that a mental illness, that in order to manage and maintain your mental illness, you will have to remove yourself from the abuse. Now, individuals who develop mental illness during their teenage and early 20s are far more likely to have issues with relationship development and intimacy in their marriage. Depression and anxiety affects the sexual drive in a variety of ways. One can expect such issues as no desire for sex, low desire for sex, viewing sexual relationships as undesirable, inability to have sex due to low-functioning libido, and sometimes just the opposite, a high sexual drive. Sometimes a hypersexuality occurs where someone is addicted to sex and has a high drive to have those needs met as part of the mental illness. There exist a variety of concerns within the relationship that should be monitored, but today I really want to talk about that or just talk about the intimate relationship. It is not new for anyone to understand that almost all relationships need to develop and compromise on the need for sex. However, this can be a difficult matter when that drive varies significantly depending upon the stage of the mental illness. The compromise is going to have to include how best to help each other in the relationship. Now, almost everyone who has had a companion or a close friend who has a mental illness knows that sometimes people who have mental illness are very needy and self-centered. We spend so much time managing our own bodies and the illness that we often forget that there is a world outside of our own concerns. And sometimes the illness won't even let us consider anything outside of ourselves. It is a part of our lives. Often, we would even like to really make a solid effort to really look outside ourselves, but the illness always seems to find a way to manage us when we do. So if sexual intimacy seems one-sided at times, and maybe often, understand that it has nothing to do with the relationship or a lack of love. It is simply part of the management of a terrible illness. This is going to be one of those areas in the relationship everyone needs to discuss openly with their companion. I am sure that there are many things that need to, be dis- need to be in that relationship discussion, but it is critical that you talk about sex and be conscious about each other's feelings. Things like things each other like and be willing to compromise. Well, except where the Lord says otherwise. One should never compromise the standards of the Lord. Now, there is much to understand about mental illness and sexuality, and I have only glossed over a few of the major concerns. Hopefully, it has been helpful to you in some way. For me, what is important are the covenants of the Lord. Now, stepping out from under the protective umbrella, especially in the area of sexuality and intimate relationships, is not worth the risk, pain, or damage. And now may the Lord continue to bless you in your efforts. And as always, the Lord requires the fight, no matter how small, and then he can do his part.